Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm your host, Rob Christofferson. And returning once again, my good buddy and collaborator on our comic, Welcome UFO People, Todd Purse. Todd, welcome back, man. Rob, thanks for having me. I am stoked to be here. How are you today? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Excited to get into some Canadian strangeness here. Yeah, yeah. So, um figured it was it was good to have you on for this one because like if this if this episode doesn't like spur your imagination because there are a lot of images associated with a lot of these uh humanoids, th- we're going to we're going to bring that imagination to life today, buddy, because like there is so much weird stuff happening <laughs> in Canada in 1968, nobody really knows about it. Oh, I am so excited. I need all of the weirdness. So uh, yeah, this is going to be great. Just the one image that you sent so far. And usually you send like a ton of images, but just the one you sent so far has already got me beyond stoked for these critters. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. And and I mean, like, we're talking about a bearded figure uh, that I sent you and like it has the gnarliest beard definitely uh, would have fit in with ZZ Top back in the day uh, <laughs> give him a guitar and he's probably riffing on Sharp Dress Man uh, all oh, over 100%. the place oh 100% yeah so <laughs> yeah more beard than person for sure exactly exactly so today's episode is a bit of a follow up to last week's episode which is uh, about this huge flap that occurred in 1967 in Canada. Like we, we covered the American stuff way back last summer, uh, how crazy things were in 67 in the States. But in Canada, like there was a lot of UFO activity all over the place. Like, uh, and and we're talking like the remotest of the remote, you know, in the prairies up in, uh, Yukon and the Northwest territories, even, you know, all the way on the East coast and stuff like that. But today, in 68, things got a lot weirder. And when I mean weirder, I mean the humanoids showed up. So 1968 is essentially Canada's year of the humanoids. And it predates, you know, the United States uh, year of the humanoids by about five years. And like a lot of them are going to take place in Quebec. Uh, but like, really, we're going all over the place. And th- there's just so much weirdness happening here. Um and uh the the weirdness starts kind of right in january of 68 and and uh my good buddy brian hasty if you're listening to this i apologize there's a lot of names from quebec in here and i know (laughs) i'm gonna butcher them all because uh my french is not not great but uh yeah january 68 montreblanc quebec uh an anonymous adult male reported seeing a strange figure in a wooded area it had glowing red eyes on a dark background. Uh, there were no other details that could be seen. Uh, and there were three German shepherds in the area that didn't seem to react to it. So uh, huh. what's interesting here is that there's a witness 
uh, the witness had seen some strange uh, anomalous lights in the sky uh, a few weeks before that, uh, actually on Christmas Eve in 67. So, um, y- you know, there's experiences here predating it. But uh, yeah, like uh, most of uh, this flap takes place in the spring, but there are these couple of sightings in um, January that, uh, that that are weird. And the second one, January 10th, 68. This is late evening uh, near the Carrot River in the Saskatchewan. Two witnesses were parked three and a half miles north and one mile west uh, of the location when one of them glanced out the window to the west and saw a light. It was a very brilliant blue. It flashed and then moved over to the east side of the car where the other witness saw it uh, as well. And it was the, the same light. It flashed again. And they saw it in the southwest, uh, and and this just this light keeps coming back uh, and flashing on and off. Um, they could see it for about two seconds, and then it would just flash, and then about five minutes later it would appear again in a different direction. And you know the light appeared to be about one and a half to two miles away, and when it appeared in the southwest, it stayed for about ten minutes. At this time, change color from a dark blue to a light blue and then to just like a whitish color. And, you know, all these colors are bright during this time. They hear noises in the brush uh, on all sides of them. Um, And they could hear like trees breaking in this kind of thump, thump, thump. And these noises lasted for about five minutes. They then saw three to five objects pass ahead of them. They couldn't say what these objects were. They could have been some kind of animal, and they saw their tracks. They could have been animal tracks. The tracks were about 100 feet away from them. They again heard noises between 1 a.m. and 1.30 a.m. They decided to start back to town. The lights followed them all the way to town. Uh, And, like... They were moving in these kind of jerk patterns and, and such. And like it was all over the sky, just bouncing back and forth, back and forth. And they got to town between 2 a.m. and 2.15 a.m. They drove up the main street a couple times with the lights still following them. They stopped by the public school facing south and they could see this light to the west of them above this insurance building. And it was almost just really like directly above them at the time. And and this time when they stopped, the light stopped also. And it just like kept hovering right there, just following them. They left the area and then proceeded to a friend's house. But when they turned onto Cadet Road, they both started to feel kind of funny. The main witness got a terrible headache while the other one got a strange feeling in his head. And it was kind of a sort of numbness on the right side of the head. The strange feeling would just kind of run down the back of his neck, down his spinal column. And when they parked in front of their friend's house, the light followed them all the way. They watched it for about another 10 minutes. And at this time, it was at, it was on the southwest, about a mile away. Um, and it was moving towards them and moved back and disappeared for about two seconds and then reappeared. And at this time, they noticed a formation of ice on the hood of their car. And one of the witnesses made a diagram of it. It was the outline of a face. Whoa. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Didn't There's see that coming. Details. 
yeah, there's not a lot of details about this face, but um, when they both saw it, they went inside the house and one of the witnesses then decided to drive home and again saw this brilliant blue light. Like this, these lights were just following them the entire time. But yeah, the, wow. the, the shocker here is you have some <laughs> image of a face on a car. That is so wild. And I mean, there's, but that, that's a, that's a thick one there. I mean, the lights into the mix of the wooded area with the, what would be presumably a Bigfoot or some sort of, uh, some sort of monstrous thing stomping around there. That is one of my favorites. And also the, the tingling down the spine, that's really reminiscent of things like Kundalini awakenings and other types of like out of body experiences and stuff. That one is just chalk full of all of that kind of uh, weird goodness right there. And yeah, that face is the clincher. That's too much. <laughs> it, it is. It's way too much. Uh, you know, nobody needs faces to appear on their car <laughs> during winter, anytime in the, in, you know, like no. on, on the hood of your car. Nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. Just like aliens, if you're listening to this, because I know there's got to be aliens that listen to this podcast. Cut down the creep factor. We don't need crap like this, okay? We don't. That's very fair. That's very fair. I do, I I like how that almost has like a ghost element to it. Like it almost seems like something from like a scary movie or something that where the face appears in mist or fog on a mirror or something like that. So it kind of has everything. It's got the UFO, the cryptid, the poltergeisty paranormal side. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it, it really does have everything. It's got the kitchen sink in there, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, things really start uh, in early February. You got some sightings in Ontario, Canada, and um, there were several made in the vicinity of uh, Chalk River. And the first of uh, the series of small, round, brilliant lights, which uh, they were sighted at 6 a.m. in the vicinity of a weather station one mile east of Killaloe and was observed by four Ontario Provincial Police officers. The men said it was much bigger than any star, and it kind of pulsated. Patrolman Tom Ward and Bill Flegg were about one mile east of Killaloe when they spotted the object at 6 a.m. and radioed the weather station, which informed them that there were no aircraft in the area at the time. The radar station at Foymount said they had no comment at all about this but uh the object appeared to move very slowly in a westerly direction and an hour after the initial sighting it was no longer visible due to daylight a second patrol car which was in the barry's bay area was radioed constable lauren steves and mike quilty were in the village of barry's bay at the time and could see nothing in the sky uh just because of the buildings that were around And as they moved out of town in hope of seeing the object, they noticed that the sky to the east was unusually bright. And they came to the top of a small ridge and immediately spotted the object in the east. They drove to Shrine Hill, about four miles west of Killaloe, and from that spot saw the object low on the horizon. Although none of the officers would state that it was a flying saucer they had observed, none thought it was a star. Steves and Quilty said that the bright round light appeared to be sitting on the church steeple at Killaloe. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly where a UFO would park, right on a church steeple. I, I love it. Yeah. At shortly after 6 p.m. on the same date, a brilliant object parked 
Uh, again, they keep saying, you know, parked uh, as, as a descriptor here. In but it's not a UFO. Above, <laughs> no, no. Uh, and like one of the things that I, one of the points that I tried to make in the last episode is like, if you read issues of Canadian UFO report, um, the best way to describe them is that they feel very rustic and homey. Like, uh, mm-hmm. because they're talking about sightings that you've never heard of. And like, you feel very connected to the witnesses. Like they actually put pictures of the witnesses in their journal, which is wow. at the time, not something a lot of people really did. So, yeah, you know, like this has a very homey feel to it when they say that an object is parked 400 yeah. yards, you know, from the home of I someone. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, it's parked in the sky about 400 yards from the home of Miss Mary McCarthy, retired telegraph operator, get like a telegraph operator, (laughs) you know, Uh, this is your deep river, Ontario. And the first to see the object was 16 year old Lee Elliott, son of Mr. and Mrs. Dan Elliott. He was watching television with his brother and four sisters and was alarmed when the set suddenly started to be malfunction. When he went into the kitchen to ascertain if there had been some kind of electrical failure, he glanced out the back window and saw the huge bright light, which appeared to be 12 to 15 feet in diameter. Miss McCarthy, who lives uh, with the Elliott family, saw it also and described it as being like, quote, a bomb explosion as seen on TV. So Lee immediately... He hurried to get a telescope and binoculars in order to to see the object better. But like that that description, I can totally see that because like you know when you see when you see explosions on TV, like they are very bright. Um, yeah, yeah. And when you're trying to figure out a way to describe something that's like a light that's so out of the ordinary, and you want to put some emphasis on it, like explosions, a perfect way to do it. I mean, it's obviously more than just a little flashing light out there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it totally is. Uh, So Miss McCarthy estimated that the object was close to the ground and about a quarter of a mile away from the farmhouse, and it appeared to have little red lights circling it. And what's interesting is in the last episode, one of the main uh, phenomenons that uh, people experienced during 67 was they would see these red lights, and they would kind of... Uh, at times surround a larger object they almost seemed like satellite objects that would go out and come back and go out and come back so uh it's very interesting that you kind of have a repeat incident here you know this is is something very similar that that they're seeing so uh she said the outline of the object was so bright that the trees in the vicinity were illuminated she was a bit frightened and called deep river police and officers proceeded to the farm to investigate When they arrived, the object was gone. In addition to the Elliott children and Miss McCarthy, the object was also seen by Mr. and Mrs. William Gleason on nearby rural rural route Two. Gleason said they spotted a bright light through the back living room window, but first thought it was coming from a snowmobile. When Mrs. Gleason went upstairs for a better look, she noted that the object was a large was a large bright object with two small red lights moving around its circumference. The object stayed in the area until about 7.15 when it slowly moved off in the direction of Pembroke. The Gleasons phoned their friends, Mr. and Mrs. Edward Hogue, who live on the same road, and the Hogues watched the lights from uh, which uh, Miss Hogue described as 
quote, above the trees and about the size of the moon as we see it, end quote. So this thing is huge. Absolutely yeah. ginormous. Um, wow. Uh, the hoax watched the light until it went behind some trees as if moving away or landing. There was no noise connected with the sightings, according to all the witnesses. Back at the Elliott house, the TV screen stayed snowy and returned to normal about 20 minutes after the object had left. Family dog barked and wanted to be let out, but was kept inside. And Mrs. Elliott said she thought the object was hovering over the tractor, but was bigger than the machine itself. Um, on the 10th of February, authorities at Pet Petwa Petawawa told the Pembroke Observer that the object might have been a flare dropped by a helicopter during military exercises that <laughs> evening. He could, not he could not confirm the area in which the exercise had taken place, but said that the description of the object closely matched that of the flares. He could not explain the coincidence of the TV interference, however. <laughs> All right. That's yeah. a giant flare, like ginormous. Yes. I mean, I'm not a flare expert, but that seems like a uh, ridiculously large one. <laughs> yes. Yes. So now we get into the bulk of the flap, which begins spring 68 uh, with a sighting in Whitecliff Park in West Vancouver, British Columbia at 1 a.m. So early one morning, a postal worker and his girlfriend were sitting in a car, in Whitecliff Park, waiting for a third uh, person to show up. Um, the girlfriend was the first to see this uh, a bright white light moving among the trees. And when she called her boyfriend's attention to it, um, he looked, but he couldn't see anything. A few minutes later, the light returned, and this time he saw it, too. The light moved to the edge of the woods, only it wasn't just a light. It was an illuminated figure composed of pure light. So if you want the perfect equivalent to this, uh, think of the uh, Simpsons episode, Mr. Burns, you know, uh, in in the mm. woods. Uh, you he know, comes you got, in peace. Yes, he comes in peace. Like this is this is the vibe I'm I'm getting I'm getting here. But uh, I love it. Uh, yeah, uh, Gavin McLeod, uh, the investigator of the case, was told, "quote It looked like a small humanoid, except that it was glowing brightly like a fluorescent light. He did not see any details such as facial features and clothing. It appeared to be made of bright light." End quote. Um, the figure eventually just kind of disappeared back into the trees, just kind of popped out for a second. It's like, hey, what's going on over here? Yeah, I'm moving back. Um, <laughs> but like the interesting thing is, it's like uh, a similar being was seen in Sarnia, Ontario in the summer of 68. Uh, the witness, a 10 year old girl headed toward the back door to turn off uh, the outside lights of her house. And looking out the window, she was startled to see a glowing white humanoid figure sitting on a bench outside their garage. Quote, the figure stood up and appeared to be at least six feet tall with a round glowing head. No facial features were discernible, end quote. And she ran screaming to her parents. But uh, when the area was searched, there was nothing was found. That's freaky. Yeah. Yeah. Large glowing um, head with no facial features is not not something I'd like to run into as a kid. Um, no. It's no. it's super uh, the 
the amount of these things that happen above the treetops is really interesting to me. Like the fact that most of these stories that you've said so far, like the lights start by the trees. I, mm-hmm. I, I love that connection because I mean, it's so easy to think these things in the sky come from like higher up in the sky, but what if they're like, you know, from the trees and they're just kind of chilling in the tops of the trees. I feel like that lines up with a lot of like modern light, light, encounters i've heard of too with like the more christmas light fairy fla- uh, flashy type lights or always around like treetops and stuff so yeah i don't know that always yeah. interests me absolutely uh so another sighting in april 68 about 805 in uh chicotimi quebec um a woman mrs tremblay had left her home, headed to a restaurant when an object hovering 300 feet in the air startled her to the point that she dropped her bags. A beam of light is projecting from the object as if it's like scanning the area down below. The light then heads in her direction and when it's about to hit her, she closes her eyes. And When she reopens them, the object is gone. She books it. She turns around, heads home. It's like, no, <laughs> screw this. I don't need to go to the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, on the you return, know, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I don't blame her. No, I'll just go and say, nah. like, you have that. You have that window where you're like, okay, I can either keep going or not. Don't don't keep going. Sometimes that's fine. No, <laughs> it's okay. You can go back home. Nobody is going to think otherwise. So, exactly. yeah, she turns. She turns around, heads back home, and on the return journey, her eyes fall upon a small being, completely white in color, with startling dark blue eyes. He wore seamless white overalls and was standing just seven feet from her home. Quote, he seemed to be about 50 to 55 years of age and appeared to be sad, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) Now that just breaks my heart. Like, like a sad little alien in such a sweet getup. I mean, that outfit sounds great. I yeah. I wonder why he's so bummed. Right. After he is seen, he vanishes just right before her eyes. Just oh, goes. wow. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's so interesting how she decided to, she was like, no, I'm not going to the store. I'm going back home, but still had the, like, you know, maybe she should have kept going to the store. I wonder if the, she would have ran into something regardless or, yeah, it's yeah. like she was meant to have that experience no matter what. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, it kind of recalls a sighting from, Athens, Georgia, during the uh, year of the humanoid sighting in uh, 73 in the States. And like, there's this one witness that sees this figure that has these like weird tubes coming off its head. It almost looks like like a depiction of kind of like, um, uh, how do I put this? Like every time I see a depiction of this being, I think of like... Um, uh like some kind of mythological figure uh that is playing an instrument or something like that and he had this just really sad expression on his face and it was and like god damn it's just like why are y'all sad what's going on out yeah. here kind of like kind of like um I, I don't know if the um the bozak humanoid had a i think he was more startled than sad but there was a little sadness in that face you know so like Totally. Yeah. It, 
Yeah. It makes me think of the idea, and again, kind of to reference reference the uh, mythology point you just made, that you know, back in a lot of Greek and Roman myths, these gods would come have human experiences to feel emotion because they, although being emotional gods, didn't feel emotions the way the humans did. So it was like humans have this special way of experiencing emotions. And I've heard mm-hmm. people much smarter than myself uh, theorize that maybe some of these entities or whatever the anomalous beings are, come here to have some of those uh, emotional and sensorial experiences that are kind of native to us. And that kind of lines up like maybe that alien wanted to get bummed out. So he needed to come to Earth because, you know, feeling sad feels good sometimes, which is weird. But like if you never feel sad, it's probably a novel experience that you might want to come check out. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, As a human being, uh, one of my personal recommendations for anybody, have a good cry at least once a week. It helps. It, it totally helps. It helps Couldn't me a lot. More. Go cry. It, it totally helps. But uh, yeah. If you take nothing else away from this episode, take that away yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, please. Like the one valuable lesson here is not that humanoids are weird. It's literally go cry. It'll change your life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so April 14th, after midnight, near Cash Creek in British Columbia, uh, this witness, I, I, I took it right from uh, his own testimony. So uh, this is an anonymous witness, quote, I decided to drive approximately 100 miles north to see a friend of mine who'd recently moved to Dawson Creek. Mm, Dawson's Creek. Ah. Um, <laughs> oh, I man. don't want to wait. <laughs> that was exactly what went off in my head. Amazing. Yep. I'm glad you did that, Rob. That just made my day. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only time you'll ever hear me sing on this podcast ever. But um, uh, I left Vancouver quite late and about midnight found myself driving through the mountains near Cash Creek. As I drove along the mountain crests, I noticed far off to the northwest a number of what appeared to be searchlights playing on the clouds. At the time, I thought there must have been an airport over there somewhere. Later on, when I checked my maps, found nothing but bush and also realized that the lights I'd seen were not shining up at the clouds, but down from somewhere above. Shortly after passing Cache Creek, it began to snow when I ended up driving for 18 hours. I found my friend, booked into one of the uh, hotels in town and passed out. She had the weekend off, so the next few days we spent touring the area. The third day, I started back to Vancouver. The snow had all melted, and I was cruising along about 80 miles per hour. Uh, That's pretty damn fast. Um, I I don't know if he meant... No, it can't be kilometers per hour that's probably even faster uh yeah 80 <laughs> miles per hour is fast but like you know drive fast take chances i guess please don't yeah. drive that fast i don't recommend it just don't do it especially um, after a snowy day in canada i mean that just seems dangerous <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely uh at sunset i was just north of uh Quesnel and had a large field on my right. As I passed it, I noticed what appeared at first glance to be a white bird about the size of a herring gull. It took off from approximately 150 feet away and skimmed across the field at approximately three feet in the air on an interception course with my car. I stepped on the brakes, and it passed through the head of my light beams approximately 20 feet in front of me it then climbed at about a 45 degree angle and shot off up into the sky 
as it passed, I realized it was not a bird as the wings were fixed and not flapping. My foot came down a little harder and soon I was cruising at 90 miles per hour. <laughs> Hours later, I was, I, I was back up in the mountains just south of Cache Creek. I'd not seen another car for hours, and I was still rolling along at about 90. All of a sudden, a brilliant white light shone down on me from somewhere above. It was like the light from a flashbulb, so bright I couldn't even see my own headlights. And from what I could make out, appeared to be a perfect circle, perhaps 700 feet in diameter. I floored the gas and went up to about 110 miles per hour, but the light stayed right with me. After a minute or so, the light went back out. I could feel all the hairs on the back of my neck standing up and sensed that whatever it was was still directly over my car. I wanted to stop and take a look, but since I was all by myself and there were no other traffic, I continued to keep my foot on it. About 10 minutes later, the light came back on and I got the distinct impression that whoever was behind it wanted me to stop. I went even faster. Just before I reached Kanaka Bar uh, Restaurant, the Kanaka Bar Restaurant, the light went out again. I came around a bend and found the restaurant right in front of me. A car had just left the restaurant and I passed him doing about 120 miles per hour. He must have thought I was a UFO. <laughs> a few minutes further on, I came over the crest of a mountain and could see a long, steep hill in front of me with a curve at the bottom. Suddenly, my car lost all power, and I was flying blind down the hill. Again, seriously, people, do not go this fast, ever. Yeah. Just, just don't. <laughs> if you're flying blind down a hill, don't go that fast. That's <laughs> wild, man. And yeah, I, yeah you, especially dealing with the UFO, that's obviously going to cut the power to your car, because it's what they do. Like, they, they're going to mess yeah. with the way it's going. <laughs> I was doing close to 120 miles per hour and had lost my lights, power, steering, power, brakes, etc. I put both feet on the brake pedals and pushed as hard as I could. I couldn't see the road at all as there are tall trees on, either, on each side of the road and it was black. All I could do was try and keep the car heading straight. I kept picturing the road curving up ahead but didn't have the faintest idea how close I was or even if I could make it at the speed I was still going. Without my power assist, the car didn't feel as if it was slowing the least. Just as I reached the bottom of the hill, my power all of a sudden came back on. Needless to say, I made the corner but didn't slow down until I reached the, the main Trans-Canada Highway with all its traffic. I owned that car for more than five years and never before or after did I have any problems with it mechanically or electrically. The loss of power seemed to be their goodbye present as I lost that feeling that they were sitting on my roof just shortly afterwards. I often read or see programs about people losing time during incidents similar to what I went through, but don't think I was stopped. I was near... Quesnel at sunset, which I'd guessed to be about 1900, and hit the Trans-Canada near Hope at about uh, 0200. I was still, I was just doing some calculations, and they don't work out. Quesnel is approximately 325 miles north of Hope, and at the speed I was going, I should have done it in about 3.5 hours. Not seven. Maybe something did happen. I sure don't recall slowing. Years later, when I first saw the movie Close Encounters, it brought it all back again, especially the scene where they were all up on the mountain watching the UFO approach from the above the clouds. 
when I came out of the theater after the movie, I didn't have the faintest idea where I was. Nothing seemed familiar, and it, and it took several minutes for me to figure out where I was. Several years later, I asked some police officers if they might have had helicopters working in the canyon at night, and they said, not to their knowledge, too dangerous. End quote. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Dude, fictional triggers for people remembering personal experiences is fascinating to me. Like the fact that that came back after seeing something like Close Encounters, and you hear that type of stuff in a lot of uh, people's personal paranormal experiences that they read something or heard someone else talk about something and it sparks this thing. But it's like, yeah. it, it's so wild that like, tie of the electricity and time how like well you know when the uh ufo or light or whatever it was goes away you know maybe a byproduct of that is the car turning off but it seems that was the first thing i thought of but then you went into the missing time stuff and it seems mm. like the the missing time stuff see is pretty tied to the electricity stuff like the two seem to be intertwined in some way or have an yeah. effect on each other they definitely do. There's there's a, there's a correlation there. Uh, all I can say is that story is crazy. I don't know what that dude saw in his headlights, but, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, it's all weird. It's all yeah. very weird. And it, it, it feels like someone recounting an abduction experience. But I think what's interesting about that case is, like, not only did he see something on his way there, he had a, a more intense experience on his way back. So like he has yeah. multiple experiences separated by, exactly. you know, like a period of days. So that that's interesting. And like the same kind of like general area. It's very interesting. I, I really, yeah, there's something, something to that for sure. And I, yeah, it's super fascinating to me what triggers these people to look more into those things. Like, obviously that was weird for him to experience, but there was something that didn't seem to make him look into it too much until seeing close encounters. And it's like, yeah. why would you not investigate that more until that trigger? Like, what is it that, you know, that's, there's, there's something to that. I don't know what it is, but there's something. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we head into the summer of 68, 9.30 p.m., Laval de Rapides. I said that like it was Spanish and I apologize, but this is Quebec. Again. <laughs> I went with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that. that it's summertime. It, it just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally summertime. So two women, uh, Miss BL and Miss AB, uh, these are the, um, were given initials, uh, had been shopping and were walking next to a vacant lot at the Rue Bon Pasteur when the full moon had been shining bright was suddenly blocked by a disc-shaped object with two figures floating inside it. It was Saturn-shaped with a row of lights around the rim and a dome at the top that was transparent. So this is like a familiar shape that uh, uh, I, I've talked about before that keeps coming back in the research. It's like there are these smaller crafts that people see that are Saturn-shaped. Sometimes they have these ring of lights around the center, but there's this transparent dome on top. And people will see two figures inside. Like it, it's, it's literally a, a pattern that repeats itself over and over and over again. And it doesn't always get a lot of two attention. figures. Yeah. Always two figures, always two figures. Huh. Um, that's really interesting. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, kryptonaut guys covered the Cowichan hospital sighting, uh, you know, a while ago, that mm -hmm. is very much the same thing. The witness saw like a Saturn shaped object, transparent dome on top, two figures inside. Um, the Riri Idaho carjackers 
same same exact craft. So wild. Um as the objects slowly approach them, they notice two figures floating outside of the craft now. They were described as, quote, all black, wearing a one-piece outfit and having expressionless faces. They were between five foot two and five foot six inches in height, and one of the beings was carrying a two-tiered pitchfork, which it was using to probe the ground. Uh, and then the witnesses just decided to re- run home. Like, no, they're <laughs> approaching us. <laughs> They've got a pitchfork. We're done here. We are done. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's so funny. Like, I love when these entities have uh, tools or accessories, like whether mm-hmm. it's magic wands I'm pitchfork is great because it's got the whole devil imagery associated to it. And like, you know, that's just fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely is. Um, June 68. Uh, this is evening barhead Yukon. A farmer observed an object like an inverted dish emitting colored flames. In a compartment at the top, two figures were visible who seemed to be controlling the craft. As it drew near, the figures seemed to spot the witness, and the object immediately accelerated away. The witness's employer, a farmer and a businessman, reported the the matter to the press at the time. So, small little sighting there. Um, Yeah. Kind of similar to the last one. We got two figures inside of an object. Yeah. That's super Um, interesting. Yeah, it it is it is very like the pattern like uh, so here's the spoiler folks. One thing that I'm 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 starting to work on that I that I'm outlining now. I'm starting to write a book. So one of the things that I'm going to be bringing up is this pattern that keeps coming up. These two figures spotted inside these very similar looking objects. So um you can expect that's, to hear about that at some point in the next year that's couple awesome. of years. Yeah, I'm super stoked. That's the first I've heard about you writing a book. That is awesome stuff, Rob. Dude, yeah, dude. one question about that. Does that, yeah. does it, uh, in abduction scenarios, does the two figure thing hold true or is it mainly in sightings like of crafts far away? Not to bring you um, back to abduction land, which I know you're <laughs> taking a break from here. <laughs> um, you know, like, I think like three is the common number. Oh, interesting. And, like, yeah, because like, uh, so like with the, um, there's this rule of three in, in UFOs that pops up. Uh, a lot of the times men in black sightings come with threes. There's three figures. Um, abduction accounts, people talk about there being three figures in the room. Now with these, with these crafts and these two figures, you still have the three. It's just the UFO takes up, you know, the one. Yes. So. Oh, dude, you like read my mind because I, th- I yeah. was thinking about that when you said it because three is such a big I think uh, the Glimmermen have a big thing that uh, is always three. Yeah. And then like the spiritual side of things like three is a huge number from yes. Trinity to all kinds of things. So I was thinking the same thing that two entities and then the craft because I love thinking of the craft as something that is more than just a craft. Obviously, I love thinking yeah. of them as sent- sentient things that they Absolutely. sometimes play play the role of the entity and yes yeah, so that makes so much sense i love it yeah absolutely so july 68 we're in ontario canada a woman had just finished preparing a meal for her dogs when quote i was just taken immediately right from inside the house like a cut scene she was outside immobile watching a disc-shaped object 30 feet in diameter descending in front of her Three beings, three beings, 
exited the craft and dragged uh, dragged her inside and through a series of rooms that were like pie slice wedges. She was led to a room that she called the medical center, where they calmed her with a wave of a hand over her face, which is you know something that is very common. Um, this goes back to uh, Betty Hill. And uh, she was placed on a levitating bed and told they were going to do brain surgery. She ultimately came to believe that they had implanted a tracking device in her. Whoa. Yeah. That's, That's the fun. only abduction account that, that is featured in this. I can't handle any more abduction accounts right now. I was going to say, are we, <laughs> are we going back down this road, Rob? You know what's interesting, though? I'm going, I want to say real quick with the hand waving, one of the yeah. things I, uh, I talked to Mike Clellan recently, and he has like a, a list of very specific questions he asks people that have had experiences, whether it's owls or UFOs, et cetera. And one of them is, do you feel like you can uh, have experiences with Reiki or with uh, healing? people via touch or things along those lines which just and a lot of people he says overwhelmingly have that experience after their paranormal experience that they have these reiki abilities or found these like healing you know being able to do certain things along those lines and i just think that's such an interesting parallel that it is a very common trope in abductions that they have this healing thing where they don't have to touch you but they just kind of wave their hand very reiki like yeah Funnily enough, I was listening to that episode this morning when I was doing all of my tasks. So uh, you all should go <laughs> listen to that uh, episode because it's fan, fan, fucking tastic. I enjoyed it. It's like oh, it's over two and a half hours long. It's it's really great. And I mean, like you know, Mike Clellan. I have my own synchronicities with the guy. His bed and breakfast is in my hometown. So like you know, it's uh, it is what it I is. I didn't but, bring like, it up. He. I almost brought that up when he mentioned the bed and breakfast and we actually talked for like four hours in the whole thing. So I don't even remember if we talked about that on the podcast or not, but we talked about the bed and breakfast and I was about to be like, that's actually my buddies. And then I, I didn't because <laughs> guys, uh, Mike's a talker and a storyteller. Once he gets yeah. going, it, it, it just goes. So I didn't want to derail the whole conversation there, but, uh, but yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Yep. No, it was, it was great. Um, yeah, y'all should go listen to Todd's podcast because it's great. Uh, like it's it like the the you know the episodes that you get uh, on the weekdays, like um, and even on the weekends, they're kind of just this bright spot in the morning to get you really going. It's like a shot of espresso or like that cup of coffee because that's that's how I feel about it. And then you know <laughs> the, the creative weirdos interviews are always fantastic. So uh, yeah, go go check it out. You know. Go check out the Create Magic podcast. Just just go do it. (laughs) Thank you for all the plugs there. That was great. Mid-episode plug. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, mid-episode plug. That's how we do it. So July 68, we're late night. Like all of these are occurring at night. I don't know why I keep referencing it. They're all basically at night. I think there's one that's during the day. But uh, this is in uh, Burnaby, British Columbia. The witness, Joan Howard, um, who had other encounters had gone to bed that night, and before she slept, she distinctly heard two men talking in a German accent, in German speech. She believes that these two men were her spirit guides, who were killed in World War II, which she named Franz and Joseph. She believes that they were, quote, paving the way for what came next, end quote. She must have fallen asleep. Next thing she knew, she was in a place that looked like a cross between uh, Luna and Mars. I think I'm, I'm, I don't know if 
Luna in this case is I, I'm not sure what that is, if it's the moon or someplace else. Moon? But, That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Uh, there were buildings and people covered from head to foot in obviously protective clothing or spacesuits. Some wore black. A few of them were red, green, and blue. She guessed correctly that these denoted rank. A red suit approached and began. Oh man, it's a red shirt. We got a red shirt here. <laughs> This makes so much sense with how this whole thing started with her uh, World War II spirit guides here. I love that this is where this is going. (laughs) So a red suit approached and began talking fast and asking questions about uh, her opinions and attitudes on everything, especially human relations. She could not see his face, but knew he was a male. She demanded to know what the devil she had been brought here for. As she talked, she became increasingly aware that something was being done to her physical body. She could feel all her innards and head being thoroughly examined as though by a medical team. Still listening to the man in the red suit, she wanted to know what was going on on Earth. She arrived suddenly back at her body and felt the electricity of several beings around her. They told her not to be afraid. She was lying there in a slight daze, wondering what kind of experience or contact this was. She had never known an ordinary guides to car- carry on like this. Before the alarm went off, she saw several visions of flying saucers. Also, at the same time, someone was trying to teach her how to transmit whole sentences by a sort of pulsating beat. Next night, she was waiting for them when she saw a vision of these spacesuits and began to repeat the Lord's Prayer slowly and deliberately, transmitting the way they had taught her as her mind seemed to be suddenly hooked up to some powerful beam which bored into her head like a mild laser and stepped up and stepped up on her own feeble mind instrument. <laughs> Wow. I, I, this is, these are direct quotes, folks. These are direct That's quotes. That's amazing. Like, so yeah. she, she, pul- she said the Lord's prayer via pulsating uh, brain vibrations. That's yes. amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. I, so, um, no one was more surprised that the witness, uh, uh, no one was more surprised than the witness when they answered. From then on, for several weeks, every night, she was shown spacecraft inside and outside, control panels, instruments, gadgets of all kinds, people in uniforms, not spacesuits. A weird terrain on what she felt was Uranus or Neptune, with wild-looking formations of frozen ammonia, greenish-blue-white, rearing up on the, the strange skyline. Then came movies of space itself, huge vastnesses, with unfamiliar constellations, beautiful close-ups of other solar systems, all awe-inspiring but frustrating. She began to question them. How as the universe const- how was the universe constructed? Both the visible and invisible part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Each night they tested her even on the lesson ahead. In the ensuing years, she has seen UFOs in daytime and nighttime had physical contacts, experienced hostile attacks, too, in her life by their enemies, astral trips on board spacecraft, taken down reams of dictated communications, everything but a ride in a flying saucer in her physical body. Joan Howard claims that her instructors called themselves interstellar wayfarers, a division of those highly developed beings who raised the children of the various planetary orbs. (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah. I didn't see that ending coming. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So th- the that is such a thick mythology. Like, like, you know, we, we talk a lot about like cultural impact on people's stories that they tell themselves and like the, uh, the, the way that those stories can influence these anomalous experiences, but man, what influences that? Like, where does all that come from? That is, that's wild. <laughs> that is some streeper level stuff, folks. That is, um, that's, that's on a whole nother level right there. Um, so July 2nd, nine. 15 p.m. St. Alexis uh, de Montcalm in Quebec. A woman saw a green object shaped like a hat or a mushroom, which passed at a height of uh, of her window. She believes she saw up to 20 small men inside, all of green color with rather pointed noses, resembling sculptures in the uh, African pavilion at the Montreal Expo. Wait, whoa, whoa! So my my head my head first went leprechaun. I mean, I first went yeah. like a hundred percent like gr- green top hat mushroom, bunch of uh, goblin looking folks. That's wonderful. But w- yeah. what was the the statue from? The uh, African Pavilion at the Montreal Expo in nineteen sixty eight. Wow! All right, I got to I got to do some googling for that one. That sounds like it right. would be a very interesting image to look up. <laughs> Yes. What was in the African Pavilion at the Montreal Expo in 1968? Uh, hit me up in the emails, ourstrangeskies at gmail.com. I got to know if anybody knows what was going on in the African Pavilion. I We, we just need to know. It's uh, What know. a great reference. I, I, I love yes. it. <laughs> uh, July 2nd, 9.30 p.m., St. Thomas, Quebec. Constable M. Machad. And other police officers were reported to have seen two naked little men running through a drainage ditch and flee. Reports had the little men disappearing as they were about to be apprehended. Some reports had them as only two feet high, with shoulders the size of adults and disproportionately large heads. The appearance of a large meteor at the time uh, merely complicated matters. In what way did it complicate matters? I I, I need to know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love pulling right. quotes like this because like this, they're just so off the wall sometimes. Like that's just amazing. I mean, the the naked thing is really funny too. Like, I, I so much of this stuff they've been wearing like little onesies or jumpers and whatnot. I, I like that we got some uh, all natural entities going on here. Yep. July 2nd, 10 p.m., Wooler, Ontario. Several witnesses see a bright object land on some nearby brush. Later, several shadowy beings are seen nearby homes and take uh, several items. Yes, we have some thieves on our hands. Uh, there's no other information. That's it. Like That's, that's it? literally <laughs> it. That's literally it. People see some shadowy <laughs> beings enter nearby homes. Stuff gets stolen. Alien thieves. <laughs> yep. What else uh, are you going to do? Right. I'm glad someone documented it. Yeah, exactly. July 22nd, uh, evening, St. Bruno, Quebec. Six young girls, ages 7 to 13, reportedly saw a figure they described as the Virgin Mary. The apparition appeared before them, hovering in the air. Four of the girls merely saw the figure, whereas two heard a voice they described as soft and slow. It advised them to pray and promised to return on October 7th, 
We do not have any confirmation that this being did return on October 7th, but it's interesting that during this humanoid flap, we got a Marian apparition happening here. Yeah, that is very interesting. It's so, yeah, and that was recorded in the same place as everything, as all the other UFO encounters and, and everything, like just right alongside of it. Pretty much. Like you have another, uh, you have a, um, another humanoid that is reported on the same night. Um, the, the next entry is, um, St. Uh, Basile in Quebec. I'm not sure how close they are, but a boy reported seeing a man like figure that was apparently airborne and seemed to be walking in the sky without any visible means of propulsion. Just walking. So yeah, just walking. So it's like, we have similar, we have like these floating figures on the same night in Quebec. So and this might be a little bit of a stretch, but there is, seems to be some sort of religious connotation to like walking on air. Like most yeah. of these humanoids you hear just hovering like Mothman style, like they're not flapping or doing it. They're just kind of like chilling in the air, floating around to actually see somebody walking like that. It's almost like the uh, the walking on water or something along those lines. Yeah. That's that's interesting. And I mean, with our excessive speeder, he said that the uh, bird thing that he saw in his headlights did not flap its wings. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always that's always fascinated me, and I guess kind of lines up. Like, I the other thing that's really interesting is like these all seem to start with lights. Like everything seems to have lights at the base of it, and then grow from there. Like, have you ever covered a UFO encounter that does not start with lights? So there very often there's a triggering event when it comes to a lot of ufo sightings most of the time it's lights but sometimes it's sound so it's like a humming sound a deep humming sound but like yeah uh you know one theory that i've always had is like this is what triggers this is what triggers the person to have the sighting like there is something that the object is doing in order to cause the sighting to happen so the it's the like triggering a way of getting there. the attention, and, and do you yeah. think of the, like it, that's super interesting because the more that it draws your attention and the more kind of like showy or flashy it can be, it seems like it'd be interesting to see if those line up with more intense experiences. Like the more right. that the the lights are like complex, does that align with more complex experiences? I don't know. Right. That just kind of popped into my head, but I really I, I love that it's start, like lights seem to be a core factor of all the paranormal, and I'm you know I it's. Yep seems like something that uh, is very important for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Light light phenomenon is is very important and like whatever the lights can do cuz like you know there are lights can have different effects on people. Like, you know, light the light colors affect our moods and and stuff like that. Different colors affect our moods. So, like yeah, there's there's just like a lot of there's a lot of interesting, you know, territory to really think about when it comes to lights and how they um, and what they do to us when we have these experiences. So, yeah. 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 Light is yeah. one of those weird things with like it's one of those scientific gaps that allows for weirdness. And there is this whole uh, thing that Robert Anton Wilson did. It was a language he 
essentially created where you don't use the word is and you use you replace the word is with the words like appears to be or things like that and his example is always instead of saying the sky is blue say the sky appears to be blue because scientifically the sky is not blue the sky only Mm -hmm. appears blue because of the way the light reflects and i think there's something to like the weirdness that like light allows It, it it harkens back to that self-reflection of all of the weird paranormal stuff and that it has something to do with us being the filter of it, if that makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that totally that makes That may have sense. been a long road to get to that point, but <laughs> it was in we my brain there. there somewhere. We got there <laughs> and it made sense. You're totally, you're absolutely right. That is, that is a great way to look at it. July 26, 3 p.m. We got a daytime sighting here. Uh, Riviera du Loup in Quebec. Two young boys riding their bicycles near the airport stopped by the hangar and sighted a short, three-foot-tall, gray-skinned humanoid. The humanoid ran away, joined by a second similar being. Both moved in stiff movements. So this like sound. This has a lot of like gray kind of like connotations mm-hmm. to it. It it feels very gray-like, but. Yeah. This one, this this one is scary. This one freaked me the hell out. Um, July twenty eighth, nine p.m. Saint Saint Stanislas de Koska in Quebec. Five teenagers: Paul Sauvé, Regent Leger, Denis Leger, Michael Sauvé, and Joanne Sauvé were hanging out at the Sauvé home when Denis Leger looked out the window into a field of wheat and oats and saw a, quote, sort of circle surrounded by a bright red halo, end quote. He saw the other children, he, he called the other, uh, other children over to see it, and as if in response, two more globes joined the first. So, Dennis wasn't a stranger to UFOs. The previous summer, he had been followed by one while riding his bicycle, uh, and it flew low as if it was like investigating and looking at him and stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, things seem to have changed one year later as Dennis led the group because like he was terrified of this sighting after he got home, just like absolutely petrified. But Dennis decides he's going to lead the group out um, and he's got a flashlight. Quote, suddenly the beam of his torch caught the silhouette of a creature at a distance of less than 50 feet from them behind a wooden fence. The creature raised its right hand to the level of its face and opened and closed the hand like a baby trying to salute, as Dennis put it. Um, Everyone ran back to the house upon sight of the creature. When described, it was approximately three and a half feet tall with a bigger than human head, brown or black in color. The skin of the face was, quote, furrowed rough with knobs on it. The head itself seemed like it was embedded into a broad set of shoulders. The eyes were round and the skin around them wrinkly, and the ears seemed to be surrounded by a black fuzzy hair. Their five-fingered hands were very wide, black, knobbly, and rough like the skin of a toad. Whoa. So that that's that's a visual right there like that's that right. if that yeah is your imagination going right now cuz this one this this one made oh, me it think is. of you 
Yeah. And you know what? It's it, you, So when you described that hand motion of saluting, the putting the hand by the face and opening and closing, that yeah. makes me think of, that's the sign language, baby sign language for more. Like when my, yeah. well, she doesn't really do it anymore. She's talking more now. But when my two-year-old wants something, she'll go more. More and that's yeah. and that's what it made me think of is that aliens like more more you yeah. that's a yeah. oh, that's one of the creepiest descriptions of a being that I've ever heard of I definitely uh, got to run with that one <laughs> yes uh, once back inside Paul and Dennis ran upstairs to keep watch Nicole ran to the phone to call her parents but fifteen year old Regent Legere remained downstairs at one of the windows. Quote, the same ugly black face was peering at him and the knobby hand mm. knocking on the glass. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. The creature all... made a sound oh. like the mooing of a cow. And oh. Regent just stood there frozen in fear until the creature moved away from the house. <laughs> Dude, okay, I think this is a toddler being because uh like that again, like mooing is one of my toddler's favorite things to do. Like I think this is just a little little baby entity coming to uh play and is just way too scary looking. <laughs> you've just you've put it into brilliant context. Like we've got this. We figured this one out. We've got a baby yep. just like doing like Case doing baby stuff. And like, yeah, it's a baby that looks scary. Uh because yeah. it, not from around here, but like, it's kind of adorable at this point. It really is. <laughs> well, Even if you know that creepy. I can't. Yeah, you, I can't draw uh, scary things. And whenever I hear about them, I have to cutify them as fast as possible. My brain. <laughs> I think you, Todd, I think you need to take a stab at this one, buddy. <laughs> All right. It's on. It's 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 now in the docket. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um <laughs> Uh, from upstairs, everyone saw the remaining UFO rise slowly into the air and disappear without a trace and made no sound while doing so. Quote, at the spot where the witnesses said they had seen the luminous craft standing, the light of dawn showed eloquent proof. Over a circular area 16 meters wide, the oats had been crushed and flattened with a circular motion as though by a whirlwind. Extending outwards from this area into the standing oats was a was one long arm-like mark, 65 feet in extent and eight inches wide, end quote. So we have Ooh. basically kind of like a, a crop formation. Um, yeah. Out there. That's so a, a little, that's a little different for, for this uh, series here. I, I like that. Does Canada yeah. have lots of crop circle stuffs? They uh, in Canadian UFO report, there are some, you know, stories of crop circles up in Canada. So, yeah. Um, Interesting. They're definitely there. Definitely there. Um, cool. July 28th, midnight, Upton, Quebec, a man and his wife and two children were awakened by a, by their barking dog. When they arose to investigate, uh, they saw a sparkling rotating cloud in the yard. It flew just over him and went to a nearby field, about 12 feet in diameter. It was dark on the bottom, but luminous on top. The cows in the field were being chased by four or, false, four or five small entities, perhaps three feet tall, with heads shaped like bottles. As, they, <laughs> as the UFO flew above them, they disappeared. The cattle seemed ill for weeks afterwards. 
Oh, wow. Now, it's yeah. funny that that came right after the crop circle one. We have right. another, like, you know, not cattle mutilation, but, like, pretty close sick cows after experiencing with an entity there. Yeah. There's some, uh, that's interesting. What, what's the point, bottlehead aliens? What are you doing? <laughs> right. And this is the same night, you know, just a few hours later in Quebec. Wow. So, yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yep. Um. We head to August, late afternoon, Vancouver, British Columbia. The main witness involved in other encounters and some friends were playing with BB guns on the grounds of the Shaughnessy Golf Course when they saw a small metallic flying saucer on the ground. The main witness went up to it to show off to his friends and actually play bongos on it. The hubris of youth, man. <laughs> yeah. The object was as big as a VW Beetle, but round. He then he then walked to one side to get a better view of the silver object and saw a small non-human man next to it. The figure was very pale, almost blue in color, and was wearing a white suit with a blue sash around his waist that and looked like quote the man from the Glad television commercials. Wow, I don't know what that looks like, but I want to now. <laughs> I, I like I need to know what the man from the Glad television commercials in the 60s looked like. Uh seriously amazing. <sighs> yeah. The witness said, "My name is Kim," and put his uh uh the witness said, uh, "quote, my name is Kim," and put his right hand on his heart. The creature responded by holding his palm uh, palms upward and made a sound, but didn't seem to, uh, quote, have a tongue. That's great. Uh, wow. At one point, he put out his right arm and nodded for the witness to do the same with his left. And he was allowed to compare his hand with the with the aliens. And, it, and except for the uh, pallor, they were very similar. At this point, he heard a voice in his head that spoke the words, would you like to pray? And he bowed and put his arms pointing down with his palms toward the witness. He was a bit embarrassed and to get a and to get a laugh from his friends who were literally stunned, he made a gesture towards his BB gun in in his right pocket. The aliens seemed to sense this, and the witness had to apologize for this and explain that it was only a BB gun and was not real, and the aliens seemed to understand. The witness said a few more things and then waved at the alien and the alien waved back. The witness then rejoined his friends and they left the area. So Amazing. I don't know. This this story is is just fantastic. I, I like I always love when there's just like a lot of strange details in, in cases like that. And like the idea that like this kid was phased was just not phased by it so much that he mm -hmm. could walk up and interact almost playfully with this being the combination of the religious symb symbology and the playfulness is amazing in this one. I mean, the palms yeah. up is a very religious image. Like if you look at a lot of religious idols and statues and things like that, like that's the hand shapes that they use yeah. a lot of the times and whatnot. That's wow. I love that. That's yeah. beautiful. And, and I think what's interesting, and I, I know that sighting in particular is in, you know, Vancouver, but, you know, when you when you talk about Quebec, you're talking about a place that is very, you know, influenced by the Catholic Church. Like there's a lot of it, 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 there's a lot of saint names for towns and stuff like that. And Absolutely. so it, it's it's interesting to see that at play in, in, in all, some of these sightings, especially in the in Quebec. So 
Yeah, know, that culture's going to seep in there. Yeah, that it, it absolutely is. Um, August 4th, 5 a.m., Montreal, Quebec. Three young men, ages in their early 20s, had spent the night visiting the fair at La Ronde Amusement Park and were now returning back home. The three guys, Guy Gagne, Jean Guy Girard, and Carol Marquis, were, at, were near uh, Paris Boulevard when at about one fifth when at about 150 feet from them they spotted a strange creature that seemed to be walking around with extreme difficulty it seemed to use its hands to balance itself on the ground similarly to a monkey however the being was about 3 feet tall with a head much larger than a normal primate as the strange figure reached a street lamp it performed an abnormally high jump and immediately vanished from view of the witnesses it then appeared briefly on the other side of the road. Apparently, it had managed to make a leap of about 30 feet. It then disappeared for good. The stunned witnesses immediately called the police, who assured them that there was no circus in the region and that nobody had reported an escaped monkey. A few days before this encounter, several witnesses at nearby uh, Boscoville had seen a luminous UFO flying overhead. And I think what's interesting is like this feels very much like the Dover Demon in a way. Like the yeah. it's very similar to the sighting of the Dover Demon and the way that it just kind of played out. Yeah, absolutely. Weird walking creatures always get me. Like I, I think that's always super fascinating. Like the herky jerky, like just slightly off movements and stuff like that in in a lot of these uh weird entities. That seems to be one of those things that lines up in everything. Yes, yes, it absolutely does. Um, August 6th, 9.30 p.m., St. Uh, Gertrude, Quebec. Four adolescent boys were outside when they heard the dog barking furiously and saw it uh, tugging on the um, rope. They heard a creaking sound and saw a four-foot-tall luminous entity leave the hedge where the dog was barking. It had large shoulders and long arms which hung down. It instantly disappeared in front of them. So, whoa, yeah, another That's kind of weird hulking figure, um, doing weird stuff and more like you know, teenage to early 20s boys. It seems like there's lots of groups of these uh young men that are experiencing these things in this in this little uh year of yeah. the humanoids, yes, absolutely. So, August 29th, Oakville, Ontario. At Oakville, Ontario, on the 29th of August, a local policeman and a control tower operator at the Toronto International Airport sighted an object encircled with white lights and with green and orange flashing lights on top. It was about 1,000 feet above the surface of the water and about one mile from the Oakville Lakeshore. Although the object did not register on radar, it was seen by uh, flight observers at Malton. The constable watched the object for 20 minutes and the Malton flight observers watched it for about 45 minutes through high-powered binoculars, and it simply disappeared from sight at daybreak. Many local citizens reported seeing the object. So, yeah, we've just got a lot of weird UFO activity. Like, uh, August 29th through 31st, things are going to get very weird. So that image <laughs> I sent you relates to a yes. series of sightings seen by a group of children from August 29th to, through the 31st. So um, this is in Coleraine, Quebec. 
A group of children on four consecutive days saw a strange being hanging onto a boulder overlooking a cemetery. He was a dwarfish humanoid about four feet tall with a shaved head like that of a lizard. This being would disappear into thin air unexpectedly. Also, a roaring noise was heard in an excavation at the foot of the boulder, and a kind of flying saucer was seen, about 30 feet wide and colored blue, with white and red. It left a long trail of smoke, and each time it, quote, looked as if it were trying to land behind the boulder. The children were Dennis Bogus. <laughs> Amazing! Best name yet. <laughs> yeah, who saw the object first, his brothers Michael and Andre and their uncle George Bogus. Other adults who subsequently observed the phenomenon uh, were Norman uh, Daigle and Luke Cataret. George Bogus did not believe the stories of his nephews at first, but after seeing it himself on Sunday afternoon, he knew that they were not having hallucinations. He returned on Monday, uh, September 2nd, along with about 100 others, but no sign of uh, either dwarf or the saucer was evident. So the description is not very good uh, that they give you, but um, this figure is, yeah, it's about four feet tall. It has a very long-looking beard, like a long, pointy beard. Uh, I I think this is another one that you need to draw because it's just like such an amazing figure. Uh, and like... I'll have to send you the image that is in the um, uh, the illustrated guide to UFOs. Um, I'll have to, I'll take a, a pic after we're done recording. But uh, the color that it's in is like a reddish color. So like this uh -huh. figure was apparently like red, but you know, it's got this like, you know, shaved head. It, it, it's yeah. really goofy looking when you see like the the images of this thing <laughs> but like yeah it's, it's i love that he just hangs out on a boulder above a cemetery that's great yeah. that just it's just so uh mythically charged that whole image right there boulders really cemeteries is. trolls like that i love yep. beards all of it <laughs> yep <laughs> absolutely it. So August 31st in the afternoon at Burnt Creek near Yellow uh, Knife, Northwest on, uh, Territories, the witness, in this case, a successful, uh, uh, was a successful practical uh, minerals prospector working for a Canadian company operating out of Vancouver. He and his partner had flown in from Yellow Knife, where... After a battle with the elements, they got to their camp at Willow Lake, just a cabin in the wilderness. The two of them moved south a bit and set up a secondary camp, which was merely a tent. Here is where they would strike out each day in search of mineral signs. They sometimes worked together as a team, but most often they ranged alone. During the two and a half months they were there, the only unusual thing that occurred was the discovery of a strange type of rock shaped like a double blade of a fan or windmill that they and later geologists were not able to classify on their last day in the field. A bizarre incident occurred. On that day, they were, as usual, on their own. The witness exploring around Burnt Creek and north in the hills, but returning to camp empty-handed. Uh, his friend was not there yet, so he just sat and meditated on the hills. Bored, he got up and walked to the edge of a small, still 50-foot drop-off cliff and looked down into the uh, gorge below. This uh, 
The scorch was peculiar, about 50 feet long and only about four feet wide and flat. In it, some bubbly-looking rocks in a tubular fog bank. The apparent minerals were odd, but the unmoving fog bank more so. He felt nervous just looking at it, but decided to go down into the gouge and explore. There he found more of the unusual, unidentified mineral, and it seemed to be associated with a small mining activity, even though there was supposed to be no such thing in the area. Puzzled by the rocks, but still in the presence of the unmoving fit and mist, he finally decided to walk into the fog bank. Approximately two steps into the mist, he saw a grassy field for as far as his vision was capable of seeing at that time. The grass was about one foot tall at that point. The more he advanced towards the grass, the higher the grass became. There was a wind blowing from the grass away from him. On entering the mist, his vision was limited to his left and his right. He advanced until the grass, brown-colored, was approximately three feet tall. Then he decided to retreat, which he did. He does not remember what the sky looked like. Gray-colored seemed correct. He decided to walk back into the mist and cautioned himself not to walk into the grass. He went as far as the first, uh, as far as the first time, and things were the same. As he advanced, the grass got taller, but he seemed to be now walking beside it, not in it. Approximately four feet now, and his vision left and right got wider. Far off to his right, there was an oasis with medium-sized trees in a circle, with two tall palm trees growing in the center of the circle. At that point, he had had enough. At that time, his mind went completely blank except for one little piece of his brain powers intact, and he got out of there in record time. He <laughs> told neither his buddy or anyone else what had happened to him, but he never could shake the thought that he had passed into another dimensional reality for those few minutes. He wondered about the strange stones, which should not have been there, and the small mining operation, which likewise should not have been there. <laughs> whoa all right that might be my favorite of this whole episode yeah. rob that is yeah. just like that i mean uh 14 fog is 100 percent something that's super interesting to me and the fact that this guy it, it reminded me what i pictured in my head immediately is like that cartoon oasis you see in like looney tunes with the palm trees and stuff in the middle of a desert like walking through all that grass and just seeing that pop up in the middle of nowhere and be like nope too much i'm out that's wow there is so much there that I I was not ready for that one. That's amazing. I know, dude. I just blew your mind. I knew. Yep, I, the, yep, that, that's my intention, you know? <laughs> well, Absolutely. yeah, and like, the uh, dude, yeah, I love that these are all compiled right next to each other. Like, I love that that's right next to some of these more humanoid-style encounters and some just traditional UFO. Like, Having the experience of hearing all these things kind of rapid fire back to back is, uh, it's really, it's special. It's something that like gets your imagination going really hard for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, uh, like I'm picturing like some, you know, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but like, it just seems like something from my childhood. That I would, yeah. you know, be thinking about, you know, like that that would be happening. So uh, at least something that I would be watching. Like I, I can't put my finger on it. Like maybe Fraggle Rock. It feels very Fraggle, Fraggle Rock. 
That's perfect. And I love, yeah. and like, it has that, like, he approached it. He got to a point where he was uncomfortable, came out, but then reapproached it and just went back into it in a different way to walk next to the grass. And like, yes. there's something I, I love when uh, whoever the experiencer is interacts these, with these things with curiosity instead of fear or instead of all fear. Like, I'm sure, obviously, there was some fear involved there, but I, yeah. I think there's something cool about being able to step back and be like, okay, let's try this again we're going to walk next to the grass instead of through the the magically growing grass that gets higher and higher as we walk into it <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so it. uh september evening eskimalt naval base british columbia in september 1968 herman vurlis and reginald neal both of victoria bc noticed an occasional light at night over the naval base at eskimalt the light would change color, varying between blue, orange, and red, and move spasmodically. Eventually, using a telephoto lens, they obtained a good picture and were surprised to see the light was a formation of five objects. When they reported the matter to Navy officials, they went through a succession of interviews without a clear conclusion being reached. So, <laughs> Sounds about right. Of- yeah, that that's that's totally what's happening. Uh, September first, four thirty p.m., Cornwallis River Dyke, Nova Scotia. Four boys: David Taylor, uh, David Smith, uh, Gregory Cavanaugh, and Peter Blakeney were on the Cornwallis River Dyke in Nova Scotia, Canada, at four thirty p.m. on the afternoon of September first, when they spotted a disc-shaped object, black in color, hovering about one hundred feet above the river. They ran to a point which was as close as they could get, about four feet from the object, and stood there and watched it for about ten minutes until it moved toward the water, went in, and moved along the current. While airborne, the object appeared to be oscillating like a spinning top, the boy said. No sound was heard while it was in the air, and it did not splash when it entered the river, they said. They estimated its size to be about 15 feet in diameter and about six feet thick. So... We got a USO happening here. It's uh, yeah, mm-hmm. very uh, really checking off all of the boxes in this year of the humanoids here. <laughs> yes, yeah, we're we're covering it all, folks. There's a lot of weird stuff here. Uh, September seventh, Toronto, Ontario. A woman reported meeting a being wearing an astronaut suit, which gave her a stone of a very strong and unique composition. After tests were performed on the stone, it was revealed that it had strong nickel content. It is hinted that the extraterrestrial also had sex with the witness. No other information. Whoa. Okay. At first yeah. I was like, oh yeah, spacesuit stone. Oh, okay. Didn't okay. see that. Ending. Yeah. Wow. It just okay. it just went there. Like I, I, again, that's what I love about these reports. It's like just like out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they they fucked. It just happened. Yeah. This is what that's, happens, you know? We're just going to leave this here and let you wonder about how uh, the rest of that played out for the for the remainder of this experiencer's life. <laughs> like, it's wild that it just like ends there. It's like, huh? Did she, what? Like, is that one of those things you think was inferred by the investigator at this point, or the the person right. collecting the story, or is it something that where she was like, "Yep, this happened. I'm just going to drop this at the end and not expand on it at all." But that's exactly. That. <laughs> It's just like you all can deal with that in your own way. I'm not I'm not I'm saying out. anything. <laughs> Wild, man. Wild. Yeah. September 14th, 
evening, Drummondville, Quebec. Eight young people saw a man who walked like a robot. The next day, they saw a little man four feet tall, surrounded by a luminous glow who disappeared, leaving in his place the robot. At the site were found curious tracks shaped like those of a cat with six toes. The little man exhibited a fear of light. I don't even know where to go. So is that implying that the robot had six toes like a cat? Or is that a whole separate ghost cat that's hanging out with this robot and the little dude? Or, oh man, I'm loving it. Uh, this is yep. great. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. weird, weird upon weird, man. It's just weird upon weird. I'm I'm into it. I'm I'm loving it. I love when things get mixed up like that where it's so vague that you can just kind of you can put whatever you want on that story. That's wild. <laughs> so, we get to September 21st, 9:30 p.m. Coda Cook, Quebec. Two young girls said they saw a Martian on the roof of the Coda Cook High School by 8 p.m. Or yeah, uh, by 8 p.m., a crowd of nearly 50 persons had assembled. Shirley Green said that at 9:30 she saw a green face with no nose, mouth, or hair, and uh, and that the man emitted uh, intermittent sparks. In a field owned by M. Boven, grass was burned in a circle 42 feet in diameter, and some tracks were found. Amazing physical evidence from faceless uh, spark person. I'm I'm in. Do you, do you think there's uh something to like the physical evidence that you've talked about here so far is really interesting in the way that it seems to be mainly in these like you know burning down fields and crops and stuff like that. Do you think this was noticed before or after the experiences? Like are are, are these people like seeing? seeing this stuff burn themselves or is it found after they have the interaction with the anomalous being like the next day? Right. Uh, like, is question. the act ever seen like the act of the burning of the field or anything like that? Or is like, that just found after the experience, I guess is a better what, or more succinct way of asking. <laughs> do you remember in the nineties, there was this video that was going around of this guy overlooking the creation of the crop of this crop circle by like this like orb of light. Do you remember yes. that? Because like it's I it's do. most likely a hoax, but like yes. that's the only time I have ever th- even thought about that. And and like yeah. you know, that's the only time I've ever seen it come up. But like I think what's interesting about the crop circle stuff is like the the accounts of people saying that they were going out there to fake crop circles and make them and like seeing objects out there, like just like watching them and stuff and like feeling like they needed to be out there and doing, doing that stuff. Oh yeah. Um, That's some of my favorite parts about the crop circle stuff that doesn't get talked about enough. There's a really interesting case where there was like a pre-death premonition as well. Like there was a, uh, father and son team and essentially the father had like a um precognition of the the son passing away that came came true and he had that uh i guess uh what's called that premonition while they were doing crop circles and there's some other stuff like that that's like real real weird stuff syncing up and i I think there's something to it if you play with this stuff it's going to interact in some way even if you're just hoaxing things or making things up you're still you're playing with the weird the weird's going to play back in some way yeah 
Yeah, it will. It definitely will. Um, September 28th, 9.45 p.m. Asbestos, Quebec. A family Ooh. was watching television when the wife called her husband to see a green rectangle in the sky, which became brighter and greener. From it emerged a yellow-orange disc with three circular lights beneath it. The husband and his brother-in-law then drove after the object, which entered a cloud, turning it green. Soon afterwards, a brilliant ball of light emerged from the cloud. The men stopped at a house, and some boys also saw the object. The men walked towards it, but became afraid when it flooded them with the light. Meanwhile, back at the house, the wife and sister-in-law saw two humanoids walk from the object seemingly in space. The object then slowed and moved towards uh, Windsor, emitting a green light from its rear. Wow. Yeah, that's really f- so cube to disc to inside of a cloud. That was the yep. progression there of shape. That's I love that. That's beautiful. Yep. And oh, wow. And the so the um, husband and the son, was it traveled to follow it? But there was still a was there two separate objects in that account or was it the same object both in bo- where the uh, humanoids came out of and what they were following? We're talking about like two different objects, like one coming okay. out of the other, shooting away, and then like there's that other one that remains Got there. You. Yeah. So the cube remains there, the disc goes, and the cube yeah. is where the humanoids come out of. Okay, now, yeah. it may, wow. Uh, sometimes these things are so brief, they're hard to like break down in my yes. head to actually like, you yeah. know, um, uh, cling on to the little bit of linear narrative that's there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so... We're getting into the last few here. Um, October 30th, 8.15 p.m., Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, A man and a woman who wish to remain anonymous observed some strange objects, which they described in detail. The approximate time was 8.15 p.m. There were scattered clouds at 2,000, 3,500, and 4,500 feet. Both described the uh, first objects as a formation of four uh, arranged in a diamond-shaped group. The group were first spotted at 40 degrees elevation proceeding into the north. When at about 80 degrees elevation in the south, they slowed and they were joined by another object. Then more, one at a time, until there were were 10 in all. The time lapse between the appearance of each of the last six objects was about 30 seconds. After each object joined the main group, the objects seemed to, quote, mill about somewhat. When the 10th object arrived, it was noted that it was much larger than the others. The smaller ones appeared to brighten up and encircle the larger one, which gave off two brilliant flash, two bright flashes. Then the smaller object shot away in different directions, circled around, approached the largest object, whereupon the whole group headed into the northeast at a very high rate of speed and disappeared from sight. No sound was detected. The small objects were about a quarter of the size of the largest object. The man said that the small lights were about the size of a street light, about three blocks away, and the largest was about the size of a street light at one block's distance. Total viewing time, 30 minutes. An excellent report. (laughs) (laughs) I like that little bit of a, uh, you know, self-recognition there. That's great report. I, that's the way you end it there. Uh, (laughs) That's so many lights. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't even know. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So November 2.30 AM, 150 miles west of Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, 
the flight engineer of a chartered cargo aircraft flying at 170 miles per hour from Copper Mine to Yellowknife noticed in the clear night sky a stationary object emitting pale blue light. This object approached to within 1,000 feet of the airplane and flew along it uh, with it for five minutes, after which it departed suddenly at great speed. It was disc-shaped and had a row of large rectangular windows. In the middle window was visible a dark form which the witness thought to be an occupant of the UFO. The pilot and the co-pilot also saw this and reported it by radio to the Air Traffic Control Center in Yellowknife. So that's interesting that we got a kind of a humanoid sighting in the air. So yeah, um, haven't had too many of those. Yes. And uh, this is this is the last one that I have for us here. So November 7th, 6.20 p.m., Westlock, Alberta. A family at Westlock, Alberta, Canada, reported seeing a bluish-green object with a red light in the center and white lights around its disc-shaped circumference at 6.20 p.m. on the 7th of November over the DAP area. The object, they said, appeared to be rotating and remained in the location in the same location. About every two minutes, a large yellow flashing light would appear, whereupon the object would move a bit, emitting a blue-green exhaust. It was observed until approximately 6.45 p.m. when it disappeared. No further information. Clipping report, not investigated. <laughs> and there you have it. Beautiful way to end it right there. Yes, I, it I is love absolutely. It. I love it. So, Todd, what do you, what do you take, what do you make of this 68 year of the humanoids in canada a lot of weird stuff going on what do you make of all this dude i love it i love hearing these years worth of stories kind of smashed up against each other because like even though there is consistencies in a lot of them like we were saying with like the lights and stuff like that each one of them is just so unique to its own thing and each one of them is so reflective of the person that's experiencing it like you can really even on some of the briefer ones that don't have very much information you can still see where whether it's the culture the person exists in or the person themselves have an influence of on this experience, whatever this experience is. But I think that these humanoids are weird and uh, they are injecting all kinds of novelty into lots of people's lives in this uh, beautiful year of 1968. And the, I, the great north man canada's wild like you're right they have this like homey ruralness to it that is just so so unique mm -hmm. to this group of uh encounters that you just uh, shared with me so yeah thank you what what do you make of it all rob you know uh alavo fontes uh he was a brazilian uh ufo researcher he was a doctor and um he was he gave his prediction in 1966, I think it was, that um, this was going to be, that 67 and 68 were going to be huge flap years for uh, Canada. And he was right. He, he had studied the phenomenon for a long time, came up with these predictions, and it came to fruition. And every now and then there is just like a certain time period where like a lot of weird stuff just comes through. And like, I think what's interesting here is like a lot of it is concentrated in one area, which is Quebec, you know, and like all over the province. But like, this is a national flap for Canada. It is a very strange flap for Canada. And it like, I think it, 
really shows uh, like how how strange things can get in Canada because I, I don't think a lot of people think about you know uh, UFO sightings beyond the Falcon Lake incident and um, the uh, the Shag Harbor incident. Mm-hmm. And maybe a scattering of other sightings that have happened in Canada. But like one thing that I wanted to show with this series is like we think that things are very weird in the in America. Well, in 1968, they got very weird for Canada. And I hope that we have displayed that, put that on full display for you all uh, for this episode, folks. Uh, and you know what? That That's going to do it for this one here um todd man thank you so much for coming on for this episode dude this has been so much fun um you know we we've got we've got our comic well welcome ufo people uh y'all should be checking it out uh it's uh welcome ufo people on instagram and welcome ufo peeps on um twitter uh and you can get high res images on uh our our uh patreon accounts but like uh, we're doing a we're doing a print run here real soon. Uh, we're gonna be yeah. uh, doing a, a limited print run of our first five comics, and it's gonna be so dope. We're gonna be announcing that real soon. And yes. uh, um, yeah, like uh, keep an eye out. We'll 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 let you know on the podcasts on on both our podcasts. But uh, check out uh, the social media. To keep up on that uh todd uh where can everybody else keep up with everything else that uh, you have going on with all your art and stuff yeah the uh easiest thing is create magic studios.com that'll have the website or, or that's the website that'll have the podcast create magic podcast and my instagram which is at todd t-o-d-d de85 and that's where i post everything on a daily basis and where i'm most active if you want to interact or anything like that rob thank you for having me for this it's been amazing to be back here and yeah i have a lot to get to drawing now like i these it's funny because after the like this is the perfect way to start a monday because now i have a amazing amount of imaginal fuel for the rest of the week here that i'm excited to work with so thank you for having me on again and yeah i can't wait to share these prints with everybody the samples i got back from the printer look amazing i'm working on a little storefront now so we should have something up for everybody in the next week or so to check out excellent excellent and um yeah folks this uh uh it's gonna be so great can't wait to uh have physical copies of these out there for y'all um and uh thank you again for coming on this is this again just been so fantastic uh you can find the our strange skies podcast on most podcasting apps if you want to if you want to follow us on social media, buy some merch and uh, find the link to our Patreon page. OurStrangeSkies.com is one of the best places to find that. Um, if you want to send me stuff, I have a P.O. Box, it's P.O. Box 1377 Tupper Lake, New York, 12986. Um, Our Strange Skies is a production of Duveed Media. Special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this podcast. Spencer Worth Davis is the man behind the curtain. Our logo was designed by Megan Lagerberg and the great Desdemonas behind many of our t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or clinging to a boulder overlooking a cemetery in Coleraine, Quebec. <laughs> in gray, we trust. <laughs>